You are listening to the postcast presented by the Locked On Senators podcast and our good friends over at the Glebe Central Pub. It's your neighborhood pub in the heart of Glebe. Great food, great drinks, great people. Check them out at 779 Bank Street in Ottawa and let them know the Locked On Senators sent you. I'm Brandon Pillar, joined by Jack Richardson again in this version of the postcast. And Jack, I'm sorry, but unfortunately, the losing streak with you on the show continues. Although, this was a much better effort and we set the bar at one goal scored since your last two appearances were shutouts. They got the one goal, but ultimately, it's a 2-1 loss on the road at the hands of the St. Louis Blues. Jack, this one felt a lot different than the 7-0 loss, obviously, and the 3-0 loss to the Nashville Predators because the Senators, they pretty much dominated this whole game, don't you think? They really did, and and they looked like a completely different team from the weekend and last week, like you mentioned. I do just want to point out to everyone, I'm not a curse this was kind of a last-minute little plan here for me to jump in. It wasn't pre uh, predetermined. Doesn't that prove you are a curse, though, because this wasn't even planned and they still lost? Or how are you spinning this? I want to hear well, this. Well, I'm spinning it like if it was planned, they were destined to lose. But because gotcha. it was a last-minute thing, you know, that that's they how I'm going lose with anyways. it. Yeah. I'm coping okay. a little bit. But, man, that's uh, – it bites because Bennington just stole the game. Like the Blues look so bad. They look so bad. And and I think it's a mix again of the Blues playing poorly and the Sens just really turned on the pace in the second period. And uh, it was impressive to watch. I didn't really know they had that in them. Yeah, it was like to go from that 7 nothing effort to this effort is miles different. And this was a situation similar to Colorado where – the St. Louis Blues, despite where they've kind of had a rocky uh, start and haven't really climbed up the standings or been where they're used to being standings-wise, this is still a really good team, and they have some big injuries right now. When you look at you know, Ryan O'Reilly, I know he's having it down near as well, but ultimately that's your captain, and he's a pretty good two-way guy. No Tory Krug, a couple of other guys missing on the back end. So this is not uh, their full roster either, and this could have been an opportunity for the Senators who are coming off a terrible loss to pounce on a team with injury trouble that's also kind of a middle-of-the-pack team. In Brady Kachuk's hometown, I'm sure the family uh, was there. I didn't see any shots of the Kachuks, but they're they're always there in St. Louis. So this is this is one of those games, Jack, where uh, I'm going to pull the dad line. I'm not mad, but I am disappointed here that they can't get a win or at least one point. Yeah, this is this again. It's we're going right back to November. This feels like a bunch of games where you know the six on five play. They just don't force an extra point and. Those are the points that add up at the end of the year. You know, look at Detroit. I think they have like eight overtime losses or something like that. In the yeah, they've got a three. bunch. You know, and, and that's that's assuming the Sens are going to lose in overtime. Like you get to the three on three, anything can happen. So um, it's unfortunate they couldn't force that. I felt more confident as the game went on that they were going to tie it. Um, yeah. Just so the nice. way the way it was rolling, and and we'll get into the scoring summary and everything. But the, uh, there there were some highlights and some lowlights early on. I think for for the Sens for sure. Yeah, well, let's uh, unfortunately get into some of those low lights. As you mentioned, we'll uh, get into the scoring summary here. And the Sens, you could tell they were playing guilty because they came out flying. Like, I think they were out shooting the St. Louis Blues like 5 nothing or whatever. And I believe it was the Blues' very first shot on goal. Do, do you know if it was that uh, the one that ends up sneaking by Tal? But if not first, the second. Yeah, yeah. 
I remember looking at the score clock and it was six to two shots in the sense favor and one nothing St. Louis. So it doesn't take much for Cam Talbot to kind of get thrown off here as this one isn't really a massive play. Like Rosen just drives the zone. He goes wide. He slides it over to Jake Neighbors, who I found myself noticing a lot of Jake Neighbors in this game, whether it was shots on goal chances or physical uh, plays. He gets into that fight with Kelly we'll get into later. But he slides it over to Neighbors out front. And Neighbors does a good job just out-battling Hamnick in front. Hamnick's not able to lift his stick. And he tips it past Talbot, uh, Talbot through his uh, five hole there. And that's one nothing already. But even at this point, Jack, like I was pretty confident that this wasn't going to be kind of a backbreaking goal. Like we talked to Mark Mathot today and he was like, you don't want to get scored on early on and have these guys with kind of fragile mentalities after a 7 nothing loss have their mentality or confidence shaken even more. But even with the Blues going up one nothing here, I didn't think like, oh boy, here we go again. Like the Sens are going to crumble. It still seemed like they had possession uh, for most of the time here and they were in control of this one. It's funny because I was kind of the opposite. <laughs> oh, like, really? Yeah. I was okay. like, here we go, go again. Go into it. I was like, I thought, I thought it was a great, not even a great start. They were kind of just carrying the play a little bit, nothing mm-hmm. crazy offensively. And then that play happens where it's Hamnick doesn't lift a stick, uh, and then Talbot lets in a weak one. It's, it's, you know, kind of again, like I said, the November sends kind of thing where, where yeah. everything went wrong. Um, I wasn't thinking the game was over. Obviously, I'm just like, like this is just uncanny. It's the same thing every every time. Uh, so yeah, I mean, they they didn't sag after that goal. Um, and then obviously the second one, which we'll get into, but, uh, I wasn't doom and gloom. I was just like, like, this is the same thing I've seen again. I think I tweeted out that we've seen this story 23 times now it's 24 because they have 24 actual losses. Yeah. Just just like an eye roll face palm type of moment. Yeah. Really? This, this is how we're starting things off here. And, uh, yeah, that's definitely tough. And, and look, we're a hashtag goalie friendly show here, but, this is going to be in four games if you if you count uh, Seattle, Arizona, Colorado, and this one. Three of those games, there's no excuses for how these goalies have played, and and they've been a major contributing part to why this team has lost. Like Seattle, both goalies get in that game; they're both terrible. I mean, that's all you can really say when eight goals happen. Colorado, Forsberg's in there the whole time. Seven goals. You're not going to find me standing up for a goalie letting in seven goals in the seven nothing loss. Even I can't spin that positivity, no matter how hard I would try. And then in this one, that first goal is a weak goal. Cam Talbot's got to have that. I know that's one maybe where you want Hamannick to outbattle a young kid like Jake Neighbors out front, but still, you can't be allowing those ones to slip through you that early. And then this. This is the backbreaking one, the game-winning goal. Uh, literally, this is what decides it. The Blues dump it off the boards, and you know Shabbat can't really handle it here. But I, I'm not going to spot like this and kick Shabbat while he's down here. You would have liked him to corral that puck a little bit better, but he doesn't. It's okay, not a big deal. Achari gets past him, and at that point. Shabbat knows Talbot is coming out to play play the puck aggressively. So he actually holds back a little because he needs to give Talbot some space to do something with it. Talbot goes to do something with it and he ends up doing nothing with it and whiffs on it completely. And that's going to be one of the easiest goals Noel Achari ever gets as he just puts it into the empty net there and it's 2-0. Jack, 
at at this point, are you are you not only saying, oh no, here we go again, but maybe this game is in serious trouble as it's two nothing, or did you still feel with the way the Sens were playing that two nothing wasn't uh, unsurmountable a deficit to come back from? Uh, I don't know if it was insurmountable. Like like I I was I was pissed. I was like, this is ridiculous yeah, that we're seeing this tough. again. It's like again. Remember against against the the Avs, I was like, this is almost comical. Like it was one of those ones. You're like, what else can go wrong? It felt like that again when that happened. Now, I'm not uh, a goalie. Obviously, you and Ross were. Do you, if you're a goalie and you're watching your like the guy you're playing against the other goalie, obviously there's a mental thing there. Like if you see them playing well, you want to play better. So what I noticed the Sens doing all night, there a lot of dump and chase, and I think more than usual because it's probably something about you know, pre-scouting on the blues. Binnington's going out to stop that puck every time. So he, mm-hmm. I think he's a pretty good puck handling goalie. Talbot isn't. He's not known for that. Do you think if you're Talbot, he's going out and trying to maybe, maybe not be fancy, but gets in his head a little bit because the counterpart across the ice is playing the puck so much that Talbot's got to be like, okay, I can, I can put on a little bit of a show here too. I think there's got to be something to that because, or maybe even just mentally, that's why he messed up because that's a routine play you see every single game. Uh, and you just can't explain it. Yeah, I mean, that could be a factor. For for me, this one wasn't really like, you know, even as a goalie, Jack, I get frustrated sometimes when it seems like the goalie's going out of his way just to play the puck, just to do it. Like, just because he's like, I can play the puck. I'm a goalie that can do that. But on this play, I didn't feel like that, only because it really seemed like Achari was going to beat Shabbat there. And if you're a goalie on one of these plays – you have to make a decision whether you're going to be aggressive on that or not, and you cannot hesitate. Like, I would rather a goalie, no hesitation, make an aggressive play and have it blow up in his face rather than go out, hesitate, be like, oh, crap, no, I don't want to do this, and then you're in no man's land, and then the guy just gets around you one way or another, or you have to make a ridiculous diving poke check or something like that. So as far as the play decision goes, I don't have an issue with it, but look, obviously Talbot's wanting to get that that's one he's going to want back but that simply is unacceptable for an nhl goalie to to miss that like and look again i don't want to kick him while he's down it's been a couple bad starts the first goal is a weak one but that's one that i i would say talbot's been a guy that's been able to steal a couple wins for this team but i think he's got to wear the l on this one because that does end up being the game winning goal and if he does something where he goes to sweep that puck and maybe it it hits Shabbat or it hits someone and then that turns into a play, that's one thing. But you need to make sure you make at least contact with it and just pray that it doesn't end up being a bad play. Where you when you miss contact with it pretty much completely, that that's on Talbot. Talbot's got to wear yeah. that one. And as a veteran, I think he knows that. And I think people are a little bit, um, you know, they're very safe with goalies. Like, oh no, like. The team had to play better, et cetera. But the team played great in this one, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought the decor played great. Uh, even uh, despite a bad penalty at the end by the fourth line, I thought the bottom six did a really good job for checking, not allowing the Blues to get through the neutral zone with ease. The top six had a number of great chances. So I know we're a hashtag goalie-friendly show, but this is becoming a trend where no matter who is in net, whether it could be both of them, they're <laughs> yeah. causing this team major issues and they're not giving this team a chance to win games. 
Well, that's the problem. You know, you mentioned the Kraken game. I think that was the first bad one because I can't remember the game before that, but I believe it was uh, maybe Columbus or something. I got like, the schedule here. It was Columbus. Yeah. Okay. So, so it was Columbus. That's a have, for Forsberg. Right. Right. So they come off a high and Forsberg starts against uh, the Kraken. He gets pulled early because of a few soft ones. Talbot's no, like probably even worse against the Kraken. So that's a wash. And you're, you know, Talbot comes in the media after that and he says, look, we need to own that and we're going to be better. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. let's rinse, repeat. Like that's nothing, just one bad blip. Then you go to uh, Nashville, Talbot starts. He's outdueled by Soros. And, you know, Soros was perfect, obviously. Uh, Talbot had, I think, one soft one. And we did the post game after that. Yeah. And I did, I remember saying, you know, I'm not going to blame it on Talbot, but he wasn't good enough because he let in three goals still. So then you go to the Arizona game and Forsberg is not the better goalie in that game. Yeah, and they let in three yeah. goals and including a soft one that made it tighter than it needed to be at the end. And then mm-hmm. Colorado at seven, nothing. And now this, so we're going from a place where, yeah, the team is struggling, but so are the goalies and goalies need, you know, it's an unfair position because, you know, you live and die by your goaltenders. And if they're not up to the task, the team is going to struggle. Uh, and, and this is one that Talbot, he, you know, you mentioned that he's won them a couple of games. This is one that he lost them, unfortunately, just the way that they played. Um, and now we'll get into offense and all that, but you're not going to win a game with one goal. Um, yeah. but realistically the way this game went, it should have been a one nothing game for the Sens. Or at the very least you send it to overtime, right? Like yeah, they're yeah. right, they're right there. So yeah, that's, that's tough. And it really raises a lot of, uh, kind of red flags around, when you have a tandem of this, like veteran goalies, it was supposed to provide stability. If one guy's not going, oh, well, we can lean on the other guy for a, a five-game stretch where we have to to kind of counteract if one guy is playing poorly. But now you're at a stage where neither guy can kind of figure it out. And a little while ago in December, we were at a situation where I don't care who DJ Smith names starter. I think both of them have a chance to win. There's no wrong answer. Now I think there's no right answer. Like I don't know. Like who who are you going to start next game? I have no clue. You could tell me one guy or another. I would say I would argue reasons why neither of those guys should start. Like that is a tough place to be in, and especially look. I'm not saying I uh, disavow the Talbot trade or anything, but it is tough to look over there and see Philip Gustafson playing really well again. I think it was still the right move, but it is tough when that is the scenario. So this is a bit off topic, but on Gustafson, did you see Billy Guerin's comments uh, yesterday maybe uh, about Gustafson? Apparently when he was in training camp, he wasn't really in shape, Guerin said. And and not that it was his summer or anything, it's just kind of what he was. And he said they worked with him to get him back in shape. So that's interesting to me that he wasn't in, you know, goaltending shape. I'd imagine you got to be – you know, you know, it's different physically for a player than it is for a goalie. Obviously, you're gonna be way more flexible and all that. But it's kind of like it's crazy to hear that. Um, obviously, Gus is having a great year, but I, I don't. You can't tell me that he'd be having this kind of year in Ottawa because, like, That's you just never right. know. Goalies are such a you know, it's 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 voodoo, man. I don't know. It's it's tough. That's for sure, and especially that's interesting because you would think Gus like. He had a lot of high hopes in Ottawa, and then they trade him to a new franchise where he knows he's the number two. It's not like Ottawa where there was a there was at one point there was Forsberg, Murray, and Gustafson. It was like, what are we doing here? Kind of yeah. thing. He goes to Minnesota. It's obvious you're going to be the backup for Flurry. You got a new chance here. You think he would be in shape, best shape of his life uh, <laughs> in training camp, as the the old saying goes. But apparently not. I guess didn't matter for a young guy like that too much here and. 
this is something we can get to uh, after we're done with scoring summary and send central standing. But again, it sends fans in van. Pretty sure it's Vancouver or a van down by the river. Unconfirmed yet. But he says, thanks for the donation also. He says, astonishing power play decisions. More sandy, less shabby, question mark. That's something we're going to get into uh, as a little topic to discuss after we're done wrapping this one. But we got to let you guys know about our good friends over at the Glebe Central Pub. I am so fired up to get a chance to host a live show at the Glebe Central Pub. We're going to get that in the works for the Neil uh, Jersey retirement game. But in the meantime, you can head there for all your Sens games. We know they're going to have the Sens game on TV because they are Sens fans just like me, Jack, and all of you guys. They have shuttles going to so many of the home games. It's 15 bucks for a ride to and from the game. And best part is you can you can get your food in get a couple drinks in before the game shuttle takes you there keep it going get get some fries a poutine at the game with a couple molsons then head on the shuttle back and live it up hopefully after a win at the glebe central pub so check them out at 779 bank street they are the official postcast sponsors and let them know that the locked on senators podcast sent you all right, guys, so it's 2 nothing at this point. And the second period, this is where the Ottawa Senators, I thought, really kept kind of uh, pushing the pace here. Although I like the idea by Parker Kelly here to try to, try to pump up the team. But we talked about Cam Talbot taking an L. Parker Kelly's got to take an L on that fight with Jake Neighbors. Like I mentioned, Jack, Neighbors was a guy I kept hearing and seeing. And I'm like, man, I know we covered uh, his draft profile a little while ago, but he's really looking like a good player for the Blues. They're able to find these guys. And, um, I mean, Robert Thomas, Jordan Cairo are perfect examples of their drafting developing. But not a good fight for Parker Kelly here as right off the hop, Neighbors gets his bucket off and just feeds him and then gets the takedown. And that's actually Jake Neighbors' first NHL fight. So, I like the the effort by Parker Kelly here, but uh, as Ross tweeted out at uh, Sens Central, it really seemed like that Parker Kelly fight was how Sens fans were feeling uh, recently because you were just getting beat down here. Yeah, he got he got absolutely shelled. Uh, <laughs> like, there's no other way around it. It was weird yeah. though because he kind of stumbled right when they were about to square off, and then you know couldn't get set. And then neighbors, I think he probably was surprised by neighbors, right? If there's no NHL fights, there's no book on the kid. So you can't know if, how he's going to be. And um, I mean, I think if that was Austin Watson, I I mean, Sens fans would just lose it. Right. Because I think Kelly's had some good fights. He's been pretty good at those uh, through, through this season, at least. And, if that was Watson, <laughs> man, I the, the tweets would have been so funny because he that guy can't win a fight, really. Yeah. And uh, although his last one was a pretty good one, I mean, the bars on the floor, right? Like the yeah, fact that we were just fair. like, look, you're uh, that was a good one for Watson, but yeah, I mean, you can't fault Kelly because it helped them, like they were really good in the second period. Mm-hmm. Um, they used it to to uh, to their advantage, so so that's why fighting, I think, is is important in hockey, right? You keep it safe as possible, and that's stuff like that it swings momentum yep it allows the players to police the game and have a different way to try to boost momentum so i'm right there with you jack and that later on leads to the ottawa center's goal and you mentioned the sends were dumping the puck in a lot well this goal starts from a jbd dump in and brady kachuk is on the four check Great job by him, as usual. He gets the puck along the boards, and he slides it out to Timmy, and Timmy just quickly puts it in the net past Bennington there. So 
that's a nice play where I know a lot of fans are on the the coaching staff and their decision to, hey, we got to dump and chase all the time, dump and chase. But this time it ends up working well with a good forecheck. So what did you see on that goal as Tim Stutzler gets his 19th? That was the game plan, it seems, right? That they wanted them to get after Bennington, like I mentioned earlier, get in the corners and just kind of, uh, you know, work them down low. And it was working for the last two periods, especially like it was way, uh, way more effective than I thought it would be. Um, and I'm surprised they didn't get more really good looks like that out of it because there was a lot of examples of it. And again, Kachuk on the forecheck is just an absolute animal. And uh, I'm going to throw Batherson in there too, because he's a big boy and throwing that weight around tonight, he had his legs going too. like Batherson had a really good game. Um, and he was part of that forecheck too. And I think he got an assist on the goal actually. So, uh, that line connected, and and I don't know what else I can say about Tim Stussel. I'm, I'm getting sick of saying it myself because he's so good all the time. And he mentioned himself, again, he's one of those players who came out in the media and was just like, look, I, I haven't been good enough um, the last few games. And I kind of agreed. He kind of dipped off a little bit. And then tonight he was just – he was a superstar. He was the best player on the ice, I thought. Uh, six shots for Stussel, and, and obviously one of them goes in the net for his 19th. Team-leading goal – if you, if I were to tell you yeah, halfway true. through the year that Stutzel would be leading the team in goals, what would you have thought? I definitely wouldn't have thought goals. If you would have said points, I, I would have yeah. been like, yeah, yeah, I can see that. But when you have Alex Brinkett come in, Josh Norris, and even Brady Kachuk got 30 last year too, I would yeah. not have thought that Tim Stutzel would be leading this team in goals. That's for sure. Yeah, fair enough. And I mean, that shot too. Like, I don't know who that clown is who on Twitter, I don't know if you've seen him who has, who's been talking about Stutzel's shot and how it's not good enough. Uh, he keeps proving everyone wrong with that kind of release. So uh, we're really, really happy with, with that goal and um, just really unfortunate they couldn't get more than that. It's very unfortunate they couldn't get more than that because they had a chance here. And like, I, I have a lot of uh, times in my notes where Debrinkin and Giroux were playing as a really good pair here. They were getting a lot of chances and like kind of mixing and matching like Cat uh, passing to Giroux out front kind of deflects off his, his leg or skate or something. But Bennington gets over there and then it was moments later where Debrink gets behind the net and uh, he passes it out to Giroux and backhand. He gets stopped point blank by Jordan Bennington. So the chances were there and I thought they were doing a really good job to really put the pressure on the blues, but you got to commend Bennington and uh, the blues. They held tight there. But I think what may have been the TSN turning point is that Mark Kasselik penalty right at the end there. There's about three and a half minutes left. The fourth line is on the ice. It's, it's an, a nothing, a non-needed, non-hockey play high stick 200 feet away from his own net on uh, Nick Letty there. And that ultimately, that's two minutes where you're going to have to kill a penalty instead of being five on five and hopefully getting a chance to pull the goalie a little bit earlier. So that was a tough one for me to watch because I'm a casty guy, but that one's really like there's not much excuse for that one there. No, and, and high sticking is that one of those ones where if it if it happens, it's going to get called regardless of the time of the game. And, yep. you know, if that's a little hook, maybe he gets away with it. But I was I was frustrated because there were so many little things on the sends and uh, a couple of their forechecking shifts. Like they had the puck for, I want to say, most of the third period, right? Um, yeah, they were pushing. And, and it's kind of surprising that there were no penalties called against the Blues. A lot of scrums in front. And that the fact that that one had to happen is like – 
it's a backbreaker, but obviously, you know, I think the Sens had the puck more on the PK than the the Blues did on the power play. So I'm not mad necessarily. Yeah. It did just kill the momentum. And the thing that that's the worst for me after that is you have what a minute 15 to kind of get your six on five set up. That's the toughest part because if you have, exactly. if you're kind of just rolling all five lines, you know, the coach or all four lines, the coaching staff can, you know, put the fourth line out. I think that was going to be their last shift. Right. And then you just roll it. You would hope. True. Right. And so it's so tough because you know, DJ is telling them, look, boys, go four check quick, do what you've been doing all game, essentially. And that's why I, I tweeted out too at the end of the game, like that the team impressed me and everything, but big picture wise, there's obviously still like a lot of issues. And I think big picture wise would be the bottom six, not being effective enough to score a goal. Yeah. You know, that tonight was a good game from them. And I think they had four shots on goal between all, all six of them, which is like, you know, that's, that's a problem, but uh that's that's a later issue. So right now, DJ telling them, "Hey, go out for check, get off in twenty seconds," and then they take a penalty. Like it's just you, you can't uh, you can't really avoid it because you can't run your top six into the ground with yeah. three minutes left. What are you going to do then with a minute left? So um, I don't know, man. I mean, again, if that was a guy like Watson or uh, anyone else other than like Castellick or Ke- Kelly, I think there's a bigger uproar. Um, because like I think a couple of guys have a bit of a longer leash on that yeah. uh, that bottom six for sure. Yeah, and that's fair. And like with the bottom six, like if you had this bottom six for maybe a handful of games, and DJ is just like, look, I don't care about the offense, guys. Just four check hard and you know play a good defensive game. If that's a small sample size or a small survey. That's not a big deal, but this we're going on weeks now of that being the case in this bottom six, just not being able to do anything. Not really to any fault of those guys. It's just not their game. But when you have six guys where none of them really has much offensive touch, I mean, I guess you could argue Brass a little bit. He's able to kind of score goals and good opportunities. But, I mean, barely. Like, that's scraping the surface here. So, I thought that was tough. And, yeah, I agree with you. Like, the issue wasn't with the Casty penalty that this team's on the PK. The Ottawa Senators have one of the best penalty-killing units in the entire league. So, I wasn't at a situation where I was like, oh, no, they're going to get scored on now. It was just this team is so goddamn brutal at six on five. I don't want to have only a minute and 15 left for them to try to figure their crap out and try to get some sort of uh, uh, breakout and get possession and a cycle going in the offensive zone when they struggled to do that with two and a half minutes uh, of time, six on five. So that was the real issue for me. It's funny, though, because when let's say that they were rolling everything and then they went six on five. I don't think they had a great, they didn't have a really good scoring chance at six on five, right? They had that one where it went cross crease and then had a play like that could have bounced in, um, yeah. but they didn't have a solid look. So I, I think agree. maybe the, the penalty might even be a blessing in disguise in the sense <laughs> that it's, it's masking how their six on five is just bad. And they might be better off staying five on five. Like, I don't know, man. The Ottawa Center is the only team that would uh, keep uh, yeah. <laughs> one man down rather oh. than have one man up or two men up, I should say, even. Jeez. That's the first six on five, though, in a long time, though, that I can remember with a one goal lead. Like, I think they pulled it in Winnipeg or something. It was 5 1. Like, I don't know what yeah. he's doing there, but uh, yeah, like they, they just, it kills all the momentum because they just stop moving around. And, uh, that's frustrating, but you got the best players out there. Well, most of the best players, I think we might get into that with the sense fan and van uh, uh, comment there that we'll, we'll get into, but um, they, you get, you, it's your top dogs and they just, yep. they just didn't uh, get it done. Didn't have enough time. Uh, 
So before we get to that uh, question discussion, let's head to our Send Central standouts presented by the Glebe Central Pub. And Jack, I'll hand it off to you. I think you kind of already alluded to who your guy is going to be, but I'll let you, let you give a full uh, rant here. I'm actually picking a different one because... Oh, you're going to pivot, all right. Yeah, I am, I am. I've given a lot of love to Stutzla, but I'm going JBD. Uh, okay, we haven't nice. touched on him. He was phenomenal tonight. Um, he just looked like he belonged, and I don't think there's any other way to put it because... Yep. Uh, we'll get into Shabbat in a bit, I think, but he he made Shabbat look stable, which is not mm-hmm. saying anything bad about Shabbat, but he needed that. He needs a guy who can do that. And for, for the longest time, I've thought if JBD can find his footing at the NHL level, he's perfect for Shabbat, just the way he plays. Um, I, I think he's like a modern-day Mark Mathot in the sense that he's not super physical because the game isn't very physical now, but he'll just do what he needs to do as a defenseman and he does it well, he moves the puck extremely well. Um, and that was fully on display tonight. And I was really impressed that he was able to do that in his first game back since uh, December, which was, was really impressive to me. Yeah. And I, I I'm right there with you. Like I think JBD has the kind of potential to be the perfect partner for Thomas Shabbat. And look, this is what this team's been trying to do for years. Uh, pretty much ever since Shabbat got here, except that, random collection of time where him and Carl had a bit of time when Tom Schwab first came, like they've been trying to find a partner for him and they've failed time and time again. Even Artem Zub, you thought would be a slam dunk guy for him. Hasn't exactly worked out that great, but his time with JBD, I think of it has been pretty decent here. So although I wouldn't mind JBD playing a little bit more time in Belleville with the options that the Ottawa centers have at right hand D, especially with Artem Zub out, I want JBD playing those top line minutes. And yeah, it's a good game from him. I like that, Jack. He plays he plays 20 minutes and 56 seconds, basically 21 minutes, two shots, five blocks. I think he looked uh, really great out there. So that's a great sense central standout. And you know what else, just quickly before we get to yours there, his gap control is so good. And yep. It's his positioning. I think there was one shift, uh, and I can't. I think it was late second, maybe, where he jumps up on the blue line to keep the puck in. They forecheck a little bit, and then it goes back. And I think it's like a one-on-one, and he has to hustle back, gets his stick in the lane, and the puck goes out of play. Just little details like that that seem so simple haven't been happening for the Sens. Even Zub, yeah. I love Zub. Everyone loves Zub. He's not the quickest player, and JBD being able to be solid positionally and also show that you know, range and speed and stuff is so vital. So I'm really looking forward to watching him for the rest of the the way here because uh, that was the most impressive I've seen him in the NHL by far. Yep, it was a good game from him. Uh, I'm going to stick on the back end here, and this might be a little uh, kind of obscure, but it's just something I noticed. And I'm going to pull a Ross Levitan move and uh, pair a couple people on my Sense Central standout. I'm going to go with the Branny and Holden pair. I thought they were really good tonight. Like I've got in my notes three or four really good plays by Nick Holden, really good defensive plays, breaking up two-on-ones, clearing the puck out of the zone, playing physical. And then, look, I know maybe it's it's tough to stand here and really make an argument for Eric Branson when he's supposed to be a puck-moving defenseman, but he literally he's literally incapable of producing points it's absolutely insane that uh he's not able to do that and he's able to break the puck out of the zone really well and he's able to get a shot on net start a cycle get possession in the zone so i thought that that pair was really good and i was looking at their coursey stats for the night not not amazing but 46% so right around 50% which is where you want them to be but overall i thought they played a good game 
I completely agree, and I'll touch on Brandstrom a little bit. They he doesn't get points because this team doesn't score at even strength, and he only yeah, plays fair. at even strength. Like he's he never gets power play time. But you think you would get a lucky bounce or I a know, secondary assist or something? Pilsy Shabbat has eleven even strength points from the back end this year, and he he leads fair. the NHL in even strength ice time per game. True. He has eleven yeah, really points. Point. Yeah. It's brutal. So I don't blame Brandstrom for not having points. Especially, I think he's playing with the bottom six most of the time anyway, right? The other two pairings are getting most of the top six time. Uh, so I like that pick a lot. I like the whole, the the bottom the bottom pairing hasn't really been an issue, I feel like. It's just been the the top uh, right side that has been more of an issue. So yeah, great game from that that pairing for sure. Yeah, the bottom pair has done what they need to do. And uh, like, is a, is a bottom pair's performance going to win and lose you games? Not necessarily, but I don't think they deserve to really be harped on here. And Will Scott, this is a double dip. It's a donation to tell, to remind me to run more ads. So, I mean, I was going to cruise right by them, but uh, producer Ross is is getting on me from all angles uh, that he possibly can. So, you know what? Just for you, Will, and just for Ross, We'll toss it to one more quick ad. Oh, as I mute myself, don't want to do that for the ads. That's a rookie mistake there. This is something that I use every single morning. And believe it or not, it's absolutely true. It's athletic greens because I'm a simple guy. It's tough to stay healthy these days. Jack, all you got to do is take one scoop of their AG1 powder, put it in your water in the morning, shake it up, and it's only 300 milliliters, and you're getting 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals to start your day. It does so much good for you. It is the way to arm yourself with a great health option right first thing in the morning it's cheaper than your cold brew habit it's only has less than one gram of sugar in it and it still tastes great in my opinion for all the value you get health wise i'm not forcing it down i'm sipping it and i'm enjoying it and that's a great way to start the day so guys check out ag1 from athletic greens today it's something that it's so simple that i can do it if i can do it you can do it check it out today athletic greens there we go. We got the ad done. Now maybe Ross will let me sleep tonight. And Will Scott, I'm I'm doing those ads for you. And uh, <laughs> guys, you seriously, I, I know um, it, it's part of the business, but Athletic Greens is something I try to use every day because it's healthy, and uh, you got to try to stay healthy. I mean, I'm I'm turning thirty soon here. I got to at least pretend like I'm trying to stay healthy. Hey man, I'm on the grind too. I love I love AG1. It's uh it's a good nice. way to start the start the day and it tastes good. You're right. It tastes like pineapple, I think. Yeah. Uh, something something like that and it it's it's it was a surprise. I was I was committed to doing it and then the taste was really surprising for me. So, uh yeah, that's a good ad right there. Hell yeah, there we go. All right. Now, let's get to that uh question from Sens fans in van. I'm getting better at saying that. I feel like I I fumbled <laughs> that the first couple of times, but I'm I'm on it now. Um so he was saying questionable power play decisions and I think maybe one question that Ross has uh is do we need to be seeing so much Jake Lucini and we love Jake Lucini, but for a guy that barely plays 10 minutes of ice time, to be able to squeeze his way onto the second power play unit on this team with so much firepower. How are you feeling about that, Jack? You, you think he should still deserve some time here? I know his first NHL goal was a power play goal, but maybe it's time to switch things up here. Yeah, that was, what, like nine games ago, eight games ago? Like, you got to move on, man. Like, I, and I know it's – it's he was good, actually, when he scored that goal. The game was nice. Uh, and then he just kind of – 
isn't helping that unit anymore. And yeah. it's interesting because they only had one power play tonight. Uh, but so the time was pretty much split uh, for the first and second unit. So if you're going to be putting that unit out there so much because the first one's kind of struggling, you have to be able to, uh, you know, have have a good second unit despite the lack of depth. Like throw Brandstrom out there, throw JBD. Like I don't I don't know who. Like throw there's there's more offensive potential uh, than they're letting us believe by throwing Lucini the AHL call up on the second unit. Uh, and I should say AHL call up as in a guy who is an AHL player playing in yep. the NHL. It's not some young guy who's coming up and needs power play time to produce, uh, you know, Lucini. And it's not even that he's playing on the top unit and in the front of the net. He's on the flank and he's carrying the puck in on, on that unit. Like that's an important spot. Big I time. think you can get any, you could try anyone else, honestly, in that spot. And uh, just again, nothing against Jake Lucini, but I'm definitely on that wave where it's, it's time to move on a little bit. And that's the thing. I like the idea to get him on there because Jake Lucini does play top power play uh, time in Belleville and he is effective there. Cool. That's fine. It worked, but it's been stretched too long here. And the Ottawa Senators, the power play is their bread and butter. So anytime you have an opportunity to cash in, you need to have the best opportunity to do that. Set yourself up to succeed. So I think it is time to switch it up a bit. But I mean the best replacements would be Josh Norris and or Matthew Joseph guys that aren't available. Cause there's not a lot of great options unless you decide to go to defensemen. Maybe you put Brandy on that unit uh, alongside Sanderson, but I'm not convinced that's the best option, but it might be a better option than what's been going on. Cause they, they haven't been able to click here. So I think it's tough, but uh, again, look, these are just nitpicking at this point because ultimately this was a good performance by the Ottawa Senators. This was a good effort. If you look at this game, kind of taking that uh, bad goal by Talbot out of it, the Ottawa Senators deserved a much better result here. So I don't know where to go moving forward here with these goaltenders because pretty soon if you're the players, you're like, well, yeah, sure, some of the games, like, 7 nothing. that's on us too. But when we play that good and we still can't get a loss, like we can't afford to, um, to like a 2-1 game we can't get the best out of here, that's tough to stay motivated. Yeah, I don't know where you go from, from here. Uh, I almost don't want to watch the media uh, sessions just because it's like I know what they're going to say. I'm not watching DJs. I know what he's going to say. Um, you know, ran into a hot goalie, blah, blah, blah. And, when a fan base starts to tune out the coach, I feel like it's got to start happening in the room. And the elephant in the room, obviously, is the ownership uh, yes. scenario. So nothing's happening coaching-wise before that gets settled. Because, A, Dorian's not going to – I mean, he could make that as a last-ditch effort to kind of get this team going and save his own job. I think um, it's too late for that now, though. Don't oh, you? yeah, 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 100%. Yeah. But, but also, if you're a head coach out there – why would you sign up to a team that's going to get new bosses next month and you're probably going to get fired, right? Yeah, that, that's a lame duck position. Yeah, you yeah. know so you're getting axed. Yeah. The only option, I guess, would be promoting Troy Mann, which I'm a huge fan of and I think might actually be the play at the end of the day anyway. Because um, I think Rick Talkett, my guy, I know we talked about it a, a couple times, but he he looks like he's out in Vancouver. Can yeah. we just take a moment for Vancouver? My God, Sense, <laughs> fan, Sense fans in Van is yeah. in Van right now. You know. That's crazy. They are they are just the West Coast sends right now, but dialed to eleven because my you see that press conference today? Yeah, that is that is tough. But I mean crazy. 
we don't have to get too far into it, but they yeah. made some questionable decisions like re-signing oh. JT Miller when they could have got an absolute haul for him. Yeah. That Oliver ekman Larson trade is looking very, very bad, especially with Dylan Genther looking like he's going to be a legit sniper yeah. in the NHL. Yeah. And then adding on to it, the decision to bring in Mikheyev at a, in a big deal at this point, what was that the piece that was going to help the Canucks take a step forward. I wasn't convinced. So no, no. and now your captain's leaving like, Oh yeah. man. Hey, I just like, I just like pointing out the worst situations around the league when the Sens keep losing. Cause it makes me feel better. Uh, yeah, so that's why I, I kind of go to Vancouver, but yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what's, what's uh, like, what do you say to the team? Like, Hey guys, go do it again uh, against Pittsburgh. And in two huge games, if you even want to sniff the playoffs coming up here, uh, home and home with the Penguins. Like you can't, yeah. you can't drop both of these and expect to make the playoffs. So this is this is huge. And the thing too, Jack, is not only is it huge for the Ottawa Senators, but this is actually huge for the Pittsburgh Penguins that have uh, something to lose here, yeah. as uh, they're in a tough, tough divisional race in that Metro. I'm just pulling up the standings here now. They seem to constantly be changing places. It's a it's a three-way battle here between Washington, Pittsburgh, and New York Islanders. Pittsburgh and the Islanders with uh, 50 points and Washington with 54. So the Pittsburgh Penguins cannot afford to lose these games up against a team like the Ottawa Senators, especially considering, I'm pretty sure, yep, the Washington Capitals and New York Islanders went to overtime in this game. So that was a three-point mm. game with the two teams they're trying to catch up to. So they're going to be looking at this Ottawa Senators team who – I don't know if there's a team in the NHL that I can think of that has a stronger stranglehold over the Ottawa Senators than the Pittsburgh Penguins, like as like two franchises, eh? Like the Pittsburgh yeah. Penguins just have the Ottawa Senators number. We can't escape them. They're they're no. everywhere. Uh, like how many playoff series? Three in in since 2008 or something. So yeah. that'll do it. That'll do it for any fan base. Montreal two since then, and oh. Yeah, I, I, I hate the Penguins. I hate the Penguins. Uh, I'm tired yeah. of them being good. I like appreciating greatness with Crosby. I don't want to, you know, skip over that, but I'm tired of them. I think they need to go. Uh, and and this this home and home is going to be a good chance for the Sens to just kind of stick it to them a little bit because the games were good last year. Uh, they were there. Were they? I don't remember. I, I remember. Well, one was in November, and it was the Sens' only win in November. Oh yeah, and Gustafson like, got that win. I think it was six yeah. five or something. Yeah, it was like Stutzel's first uh, first goal or something of the year. And, and then in Pittsburgh, I think they were down like four one, and then stormed back or five one and stormed back to make it interesting. So okay. uh, some entertaining games at least, and they, you know, so maybe maybe it'll be the same this year. I'm not I'm not sure, but uh, I just hate the Penguins. <laughs> yeah. Same dude. Can't, yeah, yeah, can't yeah. stand them. It is tough. And having to see them back to back, that yeah, like you said, these are big for the centers, but man, this could be really bad. Like if the Penguins just decide yeah. to totally beat up on the Sens here in both those games, this team, like the 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 playoffs were a long shot for a long time here, but they were at least you know, you could you could make the spin zone now if you believe and if you string some wins together here, you got a chance. But it is looking less and less like that as uh, I'm going to take a quick peek back at the standings. And yeah, Sens have 41 points. They're nine points out of the playoffs now with one, two, three, four, five, six teams in between them, including the Philadelphia Flyers who have now passed the Sens. That's uh, so. rock bottom. Rock bottom right there. I... I... Oh, and and 
I'll take the moral victory from tonight because it was yeah. a good game. They played well. And I, I honestly, I honestly believe it. it's not one of those November games for me where they, they should have won. Like, they legitimately impressed me tonight, which I, yeah. I'm happy about. So we'll look at the positives for for uh, for next game because, man, uh, we were talking before we got on here, and I, I can't believe – I can't remember the last time I did a, a postcast where they won. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not a curse, but I'm uh, – it's just – loss after loss for me it's 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 not good it's not good i need to talk about a win with this team yep and hopefully jack we can get a win in the ottawa senators next game like you mentioned a home and home up against the pittsburgh penguins and luckily for the ottawa senators they get a bit of home cooking first wednesday night on the 18th they will be up against the pittsburgh penguins at seven eastern Let's hope they get a win there as this was a, a good effort. They raised the bar on uh, will they score a goal. They got that goal. So now we'll raise that bar a little more. Can I, I'll raise it to can they get a point in this one? If they can get it past regulation and lose, I will take that as uh, that's much better than they've been able to do recently. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. the, the Baby steps. For some reason, we're taking baby Inch steps. it up higher and higher. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh boy all right well thanks everyone for joining us in this episode of the postcast jack richardson thanks again for joining uh me in this one it is a 2-1 loss for your ottawa centers unfortunately another loss to add to the column and we hope for a better result up against pittsburgh at home but for tonight we say goodbye Thank you for listening to the postcast presented by the Locked On Senators podcast. Ross and I will have an episode for you tomorrow, and Mike Rupp will join us. You're not going to want to miss that interview. Thanks, guys. It's the Locked On Senators podcast, your team every day.